This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Best Friends Back All Right, the show where two high school best friends try the best friend think again. I'm Nagin Homaifad. And I'm Stevie Wynn-Levine. And today we are talking about, well, we're talking broadly about intimacy, coordination, and TV and film, um, and and theater, and, and various different entertainment mediums. And we have a very special guest on today that I'm very excited to yes. welcome. I was thinking about it, though. I was thinking, you know, Nikki, and I've, I've taught you a lot about uh, lesbian oh, culture over this. Um, yes. Over this show. And mm-hmm. even last week we were touching on the yearning. You know, L- Logan and I have reinforced lesbian yearning yes. with you. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, who who enjoys simulated TV and film sex scenes more than lesbians. I, that's what I, this is what I'm I know I said that <laughs> lesbians don't like to put on body lotion. I've made a lot of claims, but now I'm claiming that lesbians are the number one target audience for simulated uh, fake sex scenes mm. in TV and film. And I think this is because it echoes that yearning point. You know, like here is also what I'm going to state. Maybe straight people are the number one audience for like porn, you know, like I'll venture to say straight men, let's just say. Okay. Um, but I think going back to lesbians and a really good, nicely choreographed, spicy TV film sex scene, preferably between two mm. women, really Oof. I think I think we're the number one audience for that. Okay. I think you might be the number one adult audience for that. But I would venture to say that like a teenage girl, (laughs) a teenage girl who may or not may not come from an immigrant family might like it a little (laughs) bit more. (laughs) I was all about Days of Our Lives. I was all about Days of Our Lives. Yeah, I would secretly watch it when my mom wasn't home and they had all the spicy scenes. I had no idea. I mean, it was... For TV, so it's not as spicy as what you're going to get. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, I also like to that point, I will say, and and perhaps this is because there's a limited number of films that are about Mm. uh, lesbian relationships. Sure. But I think you can ask virtually any lesbian of a certain age. And I've been schooling Logan a little bit, I think. (laughs) Um, and, you know, it is like, my mind is like a library. It's like a catalog of each lesbian film and what the sex scene was in that film and what I think about it. (laughs) So, um, to that point, uh, (laughs) it's actually, this sets our guest up on the wrong note. I don't mean that we're going to launch Are we introducing you as the expert, Stevie, (laughs) or is there someone legit? Coming. Yes. <laughs> I would like to introduce today's guest, Jessica Steinrock. I Yay. welcome to the show, Jessica. <laughs> so, it's good to be here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Please stay. <laughs> After that introduction, how could I leave? Yeah, you were warned about my um, tendency to just want to say vagina repeatedly, so I'll say that. I was. But, um, I was. Fair enough. I first uh, encountered you on TikTok, which everyone knows at this point is my favorite platform and I it consumes the majority of my time. But Ditto. Um, your handle at Intimacy Coordinator, you have in a lot of ways become the kind of peak creator meets intimacy coordinator of your industry. But I know that a lot of our friends listening don't know much about what you do. And so... You're an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, intimacy director for theater. You're also the CEO of IDC, which is the intimacy directors and coordinators. Tell us more about what it is that you do and and your industry at large so that people can kind of grasp those things. Yeah, well, it's not surprising that a lot of folks haven't heard about intimacy work because it is a fairly new position. We really only see that title, intimacy coordinator, being used in, like, I think 2018 is the first time on the second season of HBO's The Deuce, uh, and that's Mm. in TV and film. And so Alicia Rodas was brought on to season two of that show, uh, Mm. and she did incredible work to really establish intimacy coordination for TV and film. And then you can kind of trace the movement back. It's originating more in live performance. So a lot of like 
theater works. And in, in some ways, it actually stems from fight choreography because, oh. you know, right, we're not punching each other on stage. We're also mm-hmm. not having sex on stage. And so both of them oh. are about masking an illusion and making it look like two body parts are in contact that are not yes. in contact. Interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. it, that yeah. brings back for me, if I may, uh, a Broadway experience I had with my mother in which oh, oh no. we um, we chose a select number of shows to see in my adolescence, and one of them was Avenue Q, which was I was obsessed uh-huh. with. But there is a puppet on puppet sex scene in that, that. There is in that play. And man, you know, watching sex scenes with your mom isn't fun in general, but oh. watching puppet sex scenes with your mom uh-huh. live. God. Not and, very and, fun. In theater, you can't even yeah. forward. Yeah. Now, imagine that's your entire career, and your mom's like, oh, I want to see the shows you oh work on. Oh, my and then, like, gosh. <laughs> I mean, she's so supportive, right? But I'm also like, I can't sit next to you and watch yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Do your family Same members, point. like when you guys are hanging out, do they are they ever like, you know what, Jess, this career makes sense for you. Like I could totally I totally see why you're doing this. Cause you didn't all you weren't always an intimacy coordinator. No, my undergraduate degree is actually in advertising with a minor in atmospheric science. So that's a whole journey in and of itself. I can see the connection. I can see that too. But sorry, (laughs) I I had, I interrupted you. So, so we started, you started from a place of kind of comparing um, kind of stage fighting and combat and, and uh, stage sex scenes, which makes a lot of sense. And so 2018, very recent. So how did you get into the industry? And then also like, my biggest question, too, is like not every set has an intimacy coordinator. And what what does that kind of evolution look like? Because I know that more and more productions are moving towards using experts like you on set. So I know I just asked you a bunch of different questions at once, but start where you want. Start where you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, like we see in 2018, kind of the big burst of intimacy work and entertainment kind of on the backdrop of Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement going mm-hmm. viral after mm-hmm. Toronto Burke's work uh, since like 2006, right? And so we kind of see everything meet in that 2015, 2016, 2017 that led to more cultural awareness that we can do better and that we have the tools to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so also kind of tangentially in that time, uh, my husband is also a fight director for theater, which is how I know about some of that work. And so I had met some of his colleagues. And so my background is actually in improv comedy and stand-up as well. Like I did a lot of that in undergrad. and, um, And so my master's degree was really looking at the question of how do we navigate consent in spontaneous theater or spontaneous performance. Because I loved being an improviser. I loved making jokes. I loved, you know, being goofy on stage. But also as a uh, more petite woman, I was often picked up, grabbed, licked, kissed, all sorts of stuff. And I was like, there has to be a better way to navigate (laughs) Mm -hmm. consent. So those are like my questions, which then when I met some of you know, my husband's colleagues who were looking at the intersections of fight and intimacy work in theater, I happened to meet some really incredible professionals really early on. Uh, one of those being Alicia Rodas, who I talked about earlier as she was the first intimacy coordinator on The Deuce. Um, and so I got to be a part of the early stages of this movement and help create and define what it is uh, and work with some really incredible intimacy professionals who've been doing this work in other areas as well. And just kind of riding the wave uh, since then, really advocating for this work that we really believe in. So tell us, at what point does, uh, in a script, does, do you start thinking, "Mm, we need an intimacy coordinator? Is it like, they start French kissing or <laughs> French are coming kissing. Up. Oh what my God. Is, I, you I know, told you. Scripts are weird because they'll say all sorts of stuff, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's like you literally see like he puts his tongue in her mouth or whatever. Like <laughs> that can sometimes be really spelled out, but other times it's a lot looser. And okay. so for me, like the, the general guideline that I operate on is if there's any kind of simulated sex nudity or simulated genital contact, then you really should have an intimacy coordinator present. And then there's this kind of gray area where it's like the heavy makeout zone that... They call that heavy petting in (laughs) the literature world. Well, the heavy petting would be simulated genital contact, right? Oh! Mm -hmm. (gasps) And so then it's just like, where's that (laughs) buildup? I'm rethinking some of the 
Things that I used to read as a kid. I didn't know heavy petting was that. Really? Uh, a lot of times, yeah. Uh, I thought it was like grind, like close grinding. grinding. That's grinding yeah. is a, yeah, that's Oh, the same but you're thing. right. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So any kind of over the clothes? Oh, okay. I was thinking more like um those big centers that have like trampolines in them that kids go to play in. Yes. I was thinking when you were thinking about like heavy makeout zone, I was envisioning like a logo <laughs> and like an, a large open space, you know. <laughs> Which I yeah. feel like we should sideline and explore because um yeah, that sounds. I would choreograph fun. the Stevie's shit out of always that. Yeah. looking for a uh, a branding <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So this could be that. Okay, so so any type of simulated sex, body to body contact. Yeah, specifically like simulated genital contact. So it's any like even hand over groin area, like any time where we're getting close. You need to always have some kind of barrier there. So okay. uh, just some pants isn't going to cut it when it comes to our guidelines. Um, but so then like the, the heavy makeout zone is a little bit of gray area. That's where we want to consider things like, is there a power dynamic involved, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a much mm-hmm. older actor paired with a much younger actor or um, uh, a celebrity paired with kind of someone who's on their first, you mm-hmm. know, day player role. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we also want to have a little bit more support there to make sure that we're navigating consent appropriately and mm-hmm. that all players have space to voice any concerns or questions that they might have that's going to allow them to do their best work. Can we, okay, so this, let's step back for a second. So walk us through, you know, what it is that you do, because it's not just, I think that maybe there's this idea that you choreograph things and that's like, that's all that you do. And I know that sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, but like it really is, you keep bringing up this word consent, which I think is the headline of your role. So walk us through what an intimacy coordinator does does. Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially, there's like three parts to this role. Part one is that we are a a department head of sorts. We are a liaison within the production, which means we're working with wardrobe, we're working with camera, we're working with the director, we're working with the actors, and we're making sure to use our lens of expertise to help every department know what's going on and be really prepared for the time we're shooting. Then we're also there as advocates. We make Mm -hmm. sure that everybody has space to voice concerns, to consider how they want to engage with this material, to consider what their boundaries are, and to have a space for those boundaries to be voiced that's uh, as free from power dynamics as we can get it. So ultimately, Mm -hmm. I can be a space of confidence where someone could come up to me and say, hey, I'm feeling really uncomfortable about this, or I I have this boundary, but I don't want to explain to people why I have that boundary. Mm -hmm. And so we can really support them through that process uh, then by using almost always that third part of our role, which is choreography. So we help to set how the, you know, the scene is going to go, where hands are going to go, where hands aren't going to go, where mouths are going to go, where mouths aren't going to go. And then we also set up modesty garments and barriers working with wardrobe to make sure that uh, every actor has the right equipment to perform those scenes safely and well. Um, But that choreography is really helpful when navigating consent because Mm -hmm. we know what's going to happen ahead of time. But it's also creatively helpful because the directors and camera folks will know where to point, what to capture, and we can really get into that, the minutia of these beautiful stories that we're telling. And so part of that is making sure that you are talking to each actor that's going to be involved Mm -hmm. in the scene about what they're comfortable with, what's about to happen, what they don't want to happen, etc. So that when Mm. everybody comes together, everyone's on the same page about what everyone else is comfortable with. Yeah. And I mean, when I first started going on sets as an intimacy coordinator, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got was that for a lot of folks historically were like, yeah, we just never talked about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was kind of like on the day, everyone was like, all right, we're just going to do it. Uh, We're going to we're going to maybe guess or we're going to just be prepared for everything. Um, And that causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And it also like gets in the way of navigating consent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got really early on was just like, wow, I've never been able to have this prepped two or three days in advance. Like I've never had time and space to really consider what my boundaries were or what I wanted or what I needed to to tell that story in the way that makes me feel good about it. Okay, so you mentioned the modesty garment of it all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so back to my catalog of um, sex scenes, uh, I will say that 
the L word, and I'm talking about original L word, not current L word. <laughs> not Snappy the Moafy L word. <laughs> um, it was shocking to me at the time, and I have since revisited the series, and I still feel like, whoa, did they go to the absolute extreme of sex scenes on TV and then somehow did not bring that back for the, the current iteration of the show. And I I found myself always asking like how are they do- like how are they doing this and not actually doing this mm-hmm. yeah and so yes. I know a lot of it has to do with camera angles and placement but then modesty garments are like a very big thing so like can you walk us through some of the basics when it comes to that and how we're how you're able to do it in a way that you can't see that it's there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so we, one, modesty garment technology has come a long way, uh, which is really cool and fascinating in like the last three or four years, even just like having new new modesty garments are being created all the time, which is really exciting. Would you share an example of like the old version of a thong was this, now it's this? Like what what is an example? Um, so we have, there's a garment that's typically used for people who have penises, and it's historically called a cock sock. Um, we like to call it a modesty pouch because that's a much more professional term. Um, but it was also, like, historically, it was made from the toes of socks. It's essentially a drawstring pouch. Okay. Um, and so that just provides modesty, but it doesn't provide any kind of sensation protection. From the toes of socks? Yeah, like just that that toe part. Like not the ankle of the sock? Right. Huh. You with me? I, you know, I need to do a little extra work to to kind of envision that, but... Really? Imagine a sock. Cut the ankle off. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's more than the toes. It's more than the toes. It looks like a little coin purse. It depends on the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it used to be a sock. Yeah, and and that's still a garment that is in use, but one of the challenges of that is that we have to have a barrier between actors' genitals, and a barrier has to be something like, you know, as thick as a yoga mat padding. Um, So that's always between two actors' genitals, which was, uh, in 2020, SAG-AFTRA also released a bunch of great updates, one of which was, uh, you know, the, the... necessity of barriers and so there that's much more explicit now than it was pre-2020 but so we always have a barrier in place Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the new modesty garments uh companies are creating essentially the pouches that have barriers included which means that they can be on just the front and we can still get full rear shots Mm. even though there's a barrier attached to the front Um, and so that's a really big one that i just love that that innovation is happening so this makes me think of, of um, something that actors go through before they sign their contracts. If there is any nudity or, uh-huh. uh, yeah, let's just say any nudity, you basically get a diagram of a body and you identify what parts of it you really? are or are not willing to share. Ooh, it's like a, it's like a color book. It's, it's like a coloring book, <laughs> but of a body. Yeah, I, I actually, I have. So that part is done by legal, but it gets yes. translated into written language. And so that okay. is in the contract that says, I'm sh- willing to show this much of my chest or this much of my rear end, etc. And yeah. so that is contractually written into that. Mm-hmm. But that's what you have to then, when you decide, okay, we have this great new technology on the front, yep. but oh, this actor actually doesn't like, doesn't want to show their butt. So then mm-hmm. you have to then think about, what you would do to, you know, give the illusion of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, with those, like with the 2020 SAG after updates, one of the other things that they've done, which I think is really incredible is they've required 48 hours for an actor to have their nudity rider before shooting. Whereas before you could arguably sign it on the day, which doesn't give an actor Mm. a lot of time and space to really consider. Now they have to have that rider with that language clearly spelled out of like, I agree to, this much nudity, I'm going to perform these simulated sex acts. And so we have to spell that out 48 hours ahead of time, which is really important because then on the day, we can't pressure anyone into changing Mm -hmm. that up or doing anything new or being like, oh, but what if we just tried this? We have to give that 48 hours of space so that that person can fully consider any impact that that might have on them. So you said that SAG instituted this barrier kind of policy in 2020. those of you don't, who don't know SAG is Screen Actors Guild. It's a union for performers and people working in the arts. 
But prior to that, that didn't exist? Like, and or were there guidelines for sex scenes and nudity? And then they just have been updated over the years? Or And what does that kind of evolution look like? Yeah, there, there were guidelines prior to 2020. They just weren't as clear um, and they weren't as specific. And so there was a little bit less certainty about what we could and could not do um, which caused a lot of challenges and problems with communication, which is why we saw such great achievements in that 2020 contract. Uh, and largely, I think, because of intimacy coordinators and actors having these conversations and actors advocating back to SAG-AFTRA that these changes were really impactful for them. Um, so that has been just a huge win in the last few years. But it's still not a requirement to have an intimacy coordinator. It's still a choice that that production is making. It is, yes. And HBO and many other companies have come out and said that they're requiring intimacy coordinators on every set. Uh, But that's not something that's like mandated by a union as of now. And part of this is also because unions have to negotiate contracts. There's a lot of steps involved, which is why uh, SAG-AFTRA, again, has done a lot of really positive things to advocate for intimacy coordinators, even though they haven't been able to mandate them on sets. Uh, They've posted a lot of guidelines, a lot of tips uh, and they're hopefully creating a pathway to get intimacy coordinators into SAG-AFTRA, which would be amazing. I think they just released an update about that a couple months ago. But yeah, I see it in their future. <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> it's Sophia Franklin. And if you don't already know, listen up. My mini series is live now each and every Monday. And the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I I want to admit something, Jessica, and I I hope that what I say does not somehow like invalidate, uh, suggest that I want to invalidate the need for your position. Oh, no, please. But my husband and I sometimes will watch shows uh, or movies, and there will be a sex scene in there that just feels like gratuitous. Yeah. Why is it there? Like, what... We, we know it. We know they're mm-hmm. into each other. We don't need 45 seconds of this very <laughs> awkward, uncomfortable sex scene. And yeah. they're not doing it very Agreed nicely. Agreed it is a great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, Dude, like, the, <laughs> sometimes the people that are doing it are ones you want to watch having sex. Other yeah. times, not so much. And so I want to know, like, what is a version of simulating um, passion and intimacy that isn't sex-based? that you have that you have seen done well like is there is there a version of that or do you think sex is is required oh no i definitely don't think sex is required i think there are so many ways to tell stories of intimacy i mean like some of the most beautiful moments are like fingertip grazes and longing oh, yeah. stares oh my god tell me like, that like, oh. right breathing yes. into each other's faces <laughs> with the lips just barely touching until one person pulls away I'm like, getting chills. So, I know. I know. It's so I'm good. Getting <laughs> um, so I don't think I don't think simulating sex is always the answer to telling mm. the right story and telling those intimacy pieces. Um, but I think one of the big misconceptions about my job is that it's my job or that intimacy coordinators are there to direct the scene. Yeah. We're not. Right. We're there to facilitate a director's vision. Mm-hmm. And so there are a number of times I've worked on a show and been like, is that my story I would want to tell? Nope, but here's the modesty garments right. you need. Here's okay. like, how can I help you get to that goal? Yes. Um, because ultimately, directors are the ones who are making those choices and being like, yeah, I really want this moment to be gratuitous or to have this. Mm, okay. you know? So then we have consent all around where actors need to consent for their bodies to be used to tell specific stories, if, that, if you yeah. follow that train. Um, and likewise for me, there are some projects that I've turned down because I'm like, I don't like the way this is told. I don't mm, like the messaging yeah. it's sending out. So I'm just not going to be a part of it. Th- okay. Th- that's, I, I was wondering about, and sorry to use the word rub, but I was wondering about the rub <laughs> that you might <laughs> encounter with a director because 
you know, there's in in my Rolodex, there's been films about lesbians that are clearly directed by straight men mm-hmm. in which lesbians are like, right. eh, that's, <laughs> that's not really what happens there. Uh-huh, I want to right. be clear. I still enjoy those films. Uh, <laughs> but um, I would assume that with the evolution of the industry, well, one, there would be people on set that actually do have knowledge of Mm -hmm. things like that in reality that consult and or are participating in the conversation but also like so that's one question then two do you find yourself in an awkward situation where you're like hey this is I am an expert in what we're doing right now but the director is you know the one in charge here and I and there's a there's a disagreement but a yeah how, how does that work too I mean, it it works very similar to what you just said. It's like, yep, I have opinions. I have thoughts. I think this is wrong. And also, my job is to help you get there safely. My first priority is always actor safety. Actor Mm -hmm. safety and making sure they consent to whatever their body is doing and whatever their visage is being used to to tell a story. Uh, And as long as that's happening, the rest of it, I'm like, okay. Within a certain margin of error, I can Mm -hmm. get behind all of it. You know? Yeah. But, but yeah, so sometimes it's a little bit of just like grin and bear it and I offer Mm -hmm. and if they don't want it, that's totally their prerogative Mm -hmm. um, because that's at the end of the day, that's their name as the director on that piece. Right. Okay. So you, you have, you know, time to figure out what needs to be done for this piece. You speak with the actors, with the directors Mm -hmm. to make sure everyone's on the same page, but then the day of when it's time to film that spicy scene, Mm -hmm. what is what is actually happening? Are there like the 200 people there on set? <laughs> is it cold? Like, is it how cold? are you adjusting the temperature Sometimes. to make sure that people <laughs> yeah. are comfortable <laughs> at now, ease? <laughs> and this is not entirely on me too, right? Like there are people there, like the ADs yes. and the set folks, like there are so yes. many people. And I, almost every set I've walked onto has had a whole crew of folks whose priority is the safety of the actors doing that scene. Because everybody Mm -hmm. recognizes how vulnerable it is to be naked on a film set. Like, it is just so vulnerable. Um, So we have closed set protocols, which means that only essential personnel are near where the filming is taking place. And everybody else is, like, standing against walls with their backs turned. (laughs) There's, like, flags that go over the monitors. It's like they're in timeout. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, it's, but it's very, it's such a, a sweet thing. Uh, and mm. it's so respectful kind of seeing people like facing the walls and, you know, looking at uh, their paperwork or something, right? They There's always an element <laughs> of making sure that there is privacy for the really intimate thing. Um, some sets I've been on actually will like tape cameras uh, on people's phones so that there's no oh, way wow. that photographs That's can awesome. be taken. Yeah. Yeah, there's some like really beautiful stuff that like other crew members will work to to make that environment as good as possible for the really vulnerable work that's taking place. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's usually just me, the director and the actors at first working on what exactly the motions are going to be, where do we want this scene to go? Uh, I'm marking it through, you know, kind of without acting, but like, you know, putting our bodies kind of in the shapes that they need to be in to get a sense of the arc of the story or the arc of the physicality. And then if there is something that's going to require more masking or more choreographic technique, then I can kind of step in there and help them be like, okay, so if the camera's here, then your head needs to be here so that it's covering this thing that we okay. can't see because it's not in the right or yada, yada. I was going to ask, I know that there's, you know, all the conversations that you said leading up to the actual shoot day, but a lot of times there's not really rehearsal built into TV shoots. And so what you're describing is very much like this scene is going to happen. We're going to talk about it right now. And then it's going to be shot. And perhaps this is just actor specific, but like, is there ever any other rehearsal that goes into those moments? And because I've always wondered, like, mm-hmm. even if it's just a... um heavy makeout zone um mm-hmm. situation like I'm <laughs> French like, do those two yeah. actors like talk to each other in advance yeah. and say like hey we, you know we have this scene coming up and like what do you want to do about it are you you know like I, I I just don't know how that happens not always but ideally we do have a rehearsal a couple days before those kinds of scenes doesn't always happen. I would say 30% of the time we get a rehearsal. And a lot of times we get an extra rehearsal if it's 
a scene that has something of a more delicate feature, whether that's the age of the actors, whether that's uh, there's another power dynamic involved, whether that's a complex camera thing. So we need to really make sure the choreography is settled ahead of time. Those are the times we get extra rehearsal time, but more often than not, we're rehearsing it on the day, the same day that we're shooting it as well. Um, so for, for my process, I'm always having conversations with the actors many days ahead of time. So they get a sense of like, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to be asked of you. They get a chance to talk with the director. Usually there's a time for them to meet prior to being on set. And on the very rare occasions that there isn't, I make sure there's time for them to meet before they're, we're rehearsing or, before, you know, I, I don't like in the, the makeup trailer. Where yeah, right. <laughs> where you're like shaking hands. You're like, great, we're going to kiss in about two seconds. Nice yeah. to meet you. Like that's the, I uh, try to avoid that one. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. To, to give them that space. Because again, it's weird. Yeah. No other job really asks you to kiss your coworkers. Do you help actors or hear actors talk about it being awkward? Not only because it's not natural. You don't know the person necessarily to, um, to have the feeling that makes you want to kiss them, but you might be married, you might mm-hmm. be in a relationship and mm-hmm. or the other person is. And like, does that come up? All the time, all the time. Uh, and this is something with, so I, I, you all mentioned that I run a training organization um, called Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. And we have five pillars that we talk about that goes into scenes, uh, scenes of intimacy. Uh, and and the four first four are like context, closure, communication, consent. But this last one, or it, maybe I said closure. Anyway, mm-hmm. closure is the last one that I wanted to talk about. That's really where I'm getting at. Because there's an element that we talk to for actors and for intimacy coordinators about how do we leave the story on set? Because our bodies oh. and our brains actually have a really hard time differentiating what's real and what's imaginary. And so there are extra mental practices that we can engage in to help ensure that the emotions that we feel, because they're real. When you're filming that stuff, it's it's real. Your body, right. your heart's going to palpitate. You might sweat. Blood's going to be flowing in different places. Like those are real ramifications of the scene work. So how do we leave that behind to ensure mm-hmm. that it stays on set, which can be really reassuring for people with partners uh, or for partners themselves to hear about, oh, these are the practices to like close out the scene. We shake hands with our colleagues. We say, thank you. Mm-hmm. We really reinforce that what just took place was part of the work environment, not based in tr- any kind of true real world feelings. Mm. That is supremely interesting. But when you mentioned that it was something that like comes up often, I would imagine that well, I mean, I guess you tell me, but I, I would think, and Nagin, maybe you have this type of experience that every actor has had the conversation with their partner that like, this is, this is okay. This, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. This, you know, like yeah. everyone has their own boundary of, of, you know, what that looks like. And is, and that's part of the conversation that they have with you where it's like, you know, this is the line that I'm willing to go up with because of Uh the kind of contract I have with my partner. The one thing I say, I would say to that is I feel like even if you have had that conversation, and that's if you have had, I doubt everyone has had that conversation, right? Fewer people than should. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine that that boundary evolves. It depends on the story. It depends Uh on who you're working with. Like I where I would feel more comfortable or not. Like, I don't think it would be like, I am never okay with my ass being shown. I am never okay with X. Uh-huh. Like, depends. Is it is it a yeah. scene that I think is, I don't know, going to make my ass, ass look especially centric, good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it depends. So my my the reason I say that is because I feel like you still then have to help people navigate the their, the comfort in that moment. Yeah, we talk about boundaries also being specific in that you get to have boundaries that are specific to each and every situation. You might be totally mm. okay with a long-term colleague who you've worked, I mean, it's se- season four of a show. Yeah. Like, it's so clear that your day-to-day lives are not romantic. Mm-hmm. The boundaries might be very different about what you're willing to engage with with that person than what you're willing to engage mm. with with someone completely different on season one, episode one of a brand new show. Um, so your boundaries are going to shift day to day, person to person. If something happened to you yesterday that makes you feel really cautious yes. about someone touching your shoulders, mm-hmm. that's going to change your boundaries on that day as well. So we talk a lot about uh, this idea that you get to have boundaries 
that are different each time. And just because you were okay with having your butt shown last episode doesn't mean that production Mm. can expect you to have your butt shown every episode moving forward. So (laughs) that navigation is really important. Then, Then when you add a partner to that and their boundaries are something you're trying to listen to, respect, and have conversations about, absolutely. There's a lot of complexities there to finding the pathway towards best work. What about in the opposite scenario? Like, what about if it's two people who are actually are in a real life relationship, but you still Ooh. have to like follow the guidelines and yeah. do everything correctly? Like, <laughs> they're like, we want to do it for real. Yeah. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, that's no. a different well, film. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, right, the crew didn't sign up to see that that day. They yes, can't work expecting right. simulated sex and stuff so, like that. Would be a, a no go, my friends. <laughs> And well, I mean, is that conversation difficult for you to have? Like, I, I can imagine that also being like kind of weird where it's like, I know that that you well, are what's in a relationship the weirder thing? and you what? don't. I don't know. What's weirder? I'm Them saying, saying we want to do it for real and her coming well, in? Well, no, I guess not that. It's so much as like um, what the rules and guidelines are versus like, because I could imagine oh. someone saying like, I don't need I don't need it. that yeah. modesty yeah. garment or I don't need that boundary and mm-hmm. then you have to be the one that says like well actually you do and this is why like mm-hmm. I don't know I just think that that could also yeah. be a, a interesting totally. conversation to navigate. It is an interesting conversation to navigate. That's actually a great way to put it because it's not mm-hmm. it's not good or bad. It's just information, right? Like a lot of times what I hear is people that feel that feel really confident with their scene partner right? Because they're in an actual relationship with them. Uh, They feel really confident and trusting of their scene partner. They feel really confident and trusting of the set. They feel really great about the story that they're about to shoot. So like the information I'm really picking up is that they're feeling calm, cool, and collected. Um, And so for me, what I just have to do is add information, which is also that, hey, the camera folks are also going to be on set and are witnessing this and they need to know you're safe and they aren't consenting Mm. to seeing certain things. They've only consented to seeing what's in the script and what we've told them ahead of time is going to happen. So even if you're willing to do some big improvisation when it comes to an intimate scene, we still need to make sure that we have consent for everyone else involved, which, Mm -hmm. you know, and they need time and space to consider that, which Mm. is why we have these guidelines and regulations in place. And then beyond that, you know, and I don't, I don't always bring this one out, but it's relevant to the conversation we're having here. Coercion can still happen in real relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so, especially when there's a work contract involved, you know, and that's not, again, that's not something I usually bring up with actors because usually once I say cast and crew, they're like, oh, totally game on. Um, But for me as well, just as a professional, when I get that question, uh, it's all about this is a workplace, this is a work environment, these are the policies, um, and we want to make sure that everybody can say no at any time. And I don't know the status of their relationship. I don't know how well they're communicating in any other space, but I can offer my professional support to ensure they're communicating well about the work we're going to do on set. I can just imagine how uncomfortable it would feel to say stop or no, or like, this is feeling weird when Uh you're in the middle of a scene. Yeah. (laughs) Even limited people, number of people watching, but when you're with working, especially with people that are maybe more seasoned than Uh you are, like if nobody else is saying Mm -hmm. anything, maybe this is actually supposed to be fine. Like, why am I being sensitive to this? And so what is an actor doing when they like, how do how can you tell when somebody is uncomfortable, but they're not able to, to articulate that verbally? Yeah, I mean, one, I'm usually checking in in between almost every take, which, you know, sometimes, and I love it when this happens, when an actor's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. It's like, go away, you know? (laughs) But that's, that for me is golden. Like, I would love to be in that spot where they're like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Um, And so when I'm checking in, I usually do like a thumbs up, thumbs, you know, like give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. And so you can kind of see through body language uh, Mm. is really helpful. I also always offer some kind of nonverbal cue that they can use to get my attention. Sometimes it just looks like the so-so flat hand wiggle sign, um, which can be really small and really subtle um, and can literally just be used because they need some water or they need a quick break or whatever that is. And so we build in all these spaces where I'm okay being the one to be like, yeah, we need a break. Uh, let's take five. You know, mm-hmm. like talk to the AD. I'm like, hey, is it cool if, if we take a break, break right now or yeah. talk with the director? Like I'm happy to be the one that's asking for that break so that the actor doesn't even feel like they need to be the one to ask for it. They can just signal me and I'm the one who's happy to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll cause the, I'll cause the pause. 
uh, yeah, to yeah. give that person space to to do that. You know, yeah, to just recollect yeah. themselves and get prepared. And then if they need anything, we can make that adjustment. Okay, I'm going to be the one to ask it, but I know that you, this is like one of the number one questions. <laughs> I'm ready. What happens when an actor does get aroused during one mm-hmm. of these scenes? Mm-hmm. What is that conversation like? Is that something that happens beforehand? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure at this point you have a little speech that goes along with that. <laughs> oh, or, do I? Or, yeah. Now, Edward, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what's been so interesting about, uh, frankly, my TikTok channel is that there's just so many people that have had this question, so many actors that have had this question and never been able to ask it of anyone. Because who on the rest of the production could you possibly ask that question to, right? And so, like, there's sometimes when I walk onto a set and, and, like, someone comes up to me and they're like, I need to know. I just, I've just, like, gritted my teeth and, and just hoped for the best every other time. But now that I have you, what do I do? Yeah. And none of those people are actors that ask you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, these are all actors. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> um, and I mean, ultimately, there's two things. One, it's that you can call for a break at any time for any reason, right? Just as we were talking about before, uh, we build in that break process so that you never have to justify why you need a break. That's just built in, whether that's a word, a hand gesture or something like you just say, hey, I need a break. And that's immediately respected. I don't. I don't know if the hand gesture would help. <laughs> how long does somebody? What kind of? What length break time do we need for? What? For for kind of reducing arousal? I'm serious. No, this is a good question, and I will also say it is never, to my knowledge, happened on a set that I've worked on because also you're crowded and you're filming this take like a million times. Ah, mm-hmm. Really? Well, she her actors are also using the. The toe sock, not the foot right. sock. Well, and so that's the other part is that there's also a barrier in place. And that barrier is designed to protect against sensitivity. But then also it's it's a sensitivity barrier both ways. So if someone does have a vascular reaction, your scene partner is not going to feel anything because there's a big chunk of yoga mat padding between you. Okay. And so you can call for the break and no one ever needs to know. So you're, you're yeah. really saying that like no break has been taken to your knowledge, because of that reason, not that right. an actor hasn't gotten aroused. Yeah, right, right. Okay. I was like, from <laughs> what I know, I just don't think that's true. But, um, but they've uh, never had to expose that or be like, oh, this is yeah. it. They d- didn't have that embarrassing moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then they can essentially, you know, they get to say, oh, I need however long they want to take. Well, Nagin would like to know exactly how long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a I, it depends I, situation. <laughs> Everybody I guess I could just different. ask Zach, too. I don't need to ask in public on a podcast. <laughs> well, and the, it'll range from person to person. Uh-huh. It's all different factors. It's uh, very, right, it depends age, kind of answer. Yes. Okay. Age. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to talk a little bit about age in the sense that um I would assume that there's older actors who are more seasoned who are kind of set in their ways who kind of brush off this entire thing and it mm-hmm. might be difficult to work with them because they're kind of like well back in my day you know we just stuck it in or <laughs> they, you know they sound whatever. like that too yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just stuck it right in there. I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> the L word was pre 2020. Doctor Doctor Steinrock, please come in with your expertise. <laughs> well, in my expert opinion, no, um, no, but 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 really, yeah. like I would assume that there's older actors that you know are just like this is ridiculous, or like why do we have to do this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, too, what I'll say is that uh, resistance goes across the age and gender spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've heard, I've had resistance from younger actors and as well as older actors. And a lot of times it really comes rooted from a place of fear that they're there trying to do their best work. And they've imagined that they can only achieve their best work as an actor by doing something a certain way. Um, so that's, that's one side of it. And the other side of it is there is an element of like, oh, trauma bonding is probably too strong of a word. But an element of like, I went through it, so you have to go through it too. Like, right, walked uphill both ways, and Mm -hmm. now we're making it easy for the next generation. Like, that kind of energy. (laughs) But that also comes from a place of like, they had to go through and do a lot 
that can feel, and in order to be okay with that for someone else, they might have to confront what yeah. they went through that wasn't great. Yeah, that makes and sense. And so, like, I like to approach anyone who's resistant to me or wants to write off my role, usually from a place of, like, curiosity and understanding. And then I just say, okay, I'm here to help you do your best work within my own boundaries. Like, here's what I need to do my job. What do you need to do your job? And where can we find compromise in the middle that's mm. going to make both of us feel really supported and keep those regulations in place? You sound like such a good person. <laughs> Thank you. So do you. Uh, I try. It shows. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> one other scene, well, one other the show that comes to mind, I would say, is Euphoria because they uh-huh. are, you know, I, on on one end of the spectrum. But mostly, yes. like I've heard a lot of rumors about prosthetics for that uh-huh. show, and well, one, I guess, like, does your role come into play even like locker room scene? It's all nudity, but there's no sex. And yes. two, like, how do you interact with? prosthetics etc because i heard that a lot of that is prosthetics and not real <laughs> i mean good prosthetics though if that's oh yeah they're are we talking about pp prosthetics yeah like yeah. okay there's a lot of peepees in euphoria i guess we're speaking with an expert uh we should say penis there's many a wee woo out in euphoria and i and i okay. and i thought they were prosthetic wee woos mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, you're not talking. Some of them might be. <laughs> and and sorry, we don't know. We don't know if they are real or prosthetic for sure. Not always. Good prosthetics <gasps> are are good prosthetics. Oh yeah. Oh, and I guess they uh-huh. don't reveal it. Okay, so you don't have you don't have the secrets to that particular question about. No, euphoria's. I couldn't tell you which okay. ones are which, but I, it is guaranteed to be a prosthetic if someone is touching it. So if someone's <laughs> if you see someone's <laughs> hand on yeah. someone else's genitals. That is a prosthetic. If it is their own hand, too. Yes. It would be, okay, that's super interesting. I'm saying, like, you got to see it. If it's being touched, if you're seeing a wee-woo being touched, it's prosthetic Uh on camera. Uh Oh, because you can't touch yourself on camera either. Correct. That would be considered a sex act, which we can't do. Yes. uh, The Screen Actors Guild protects against sex acts. And so do you think your best guess to... Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking the locker room scene just had a lot of penises. So that's what I'm thinking about. Um, Do you think it was it is likely that essentially like actors either said I'm comfortable with showing my penis or I'm not. And that was the divide in like what was prosthetic and what wasn't. Or we just you just don't know the answer to that particular Thing. I mean, I can talk in general. I can't talk about that specific scene since I didn't work on it. Yeah. But in general, like if we're going to have a big scene where there's a bunch of people who are nude, uh, you're going to cast for that. And in the casting, mm. you're going to say, we want folks yeah. that are going to show this and this. And a lot of times if they're just background, like a locker room scene where they're walking around or moving, that's probably them. Um, unless yeah. it's like a main character where there's going to be like a zoom in and it's supposed to look a certain way. That a main a character penis is right, usually right. a prosthetic. I mean, well, <laughs> I'd say there's like, like there's like a lot of like close ups in that particular scene. But it does like production wise make sense that you wouldn't invest in a prosthetic right. given the cost and everything if like it's a group of dudes in a locker room. What about props? I do want to talk about props that you use mm-hmm. and. Uh, and what's your favorite one? <laughs> I mean, and, and to and like props that you use in your work. To be clear, I, I got that one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. There was a beautiful lamp. I just <laughs> the lighting. I mean, sometimes the lighting is stunning. You know, I haven't had a lot of like really fun props, um, mm-hmm. but I am thinking about a very specific time where we could not keep the sheets on the actors in the way that it needed to be. And so there's a lot of like thrown out footage where I'm like running onto set to recover them up without like calling <laughs> cut in between the scenes. So, you know, me and that sheet had a lot of good times. <laughs> Um, there's a show that we have advertised on Best Friends Back All Right that's called Tell Me Lies. I don't know if either of you have seen it. Nagin, of course I have seen it. Did you not hear me talk about it? 
<laughs> it's it's uh, really good, and it's uh, very explicit. And so, like the the intimate scenes in this show, they're always depicting um, college college students, mm. uh-huh. and. Um, I guess this is kind of like what Stevie was saying with the L word, but they're, the things that they're doing, it's like it's their own bodies, mm-hmm. hands and 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 body parts all intertwined. I'm just kind of at a lot because I'm seeing a lot of I don't know what I'm trying to say. What are you seeing a lot of? <laughs> You're seeing a lot of what? I'm just seeing so much body that it surprises me that it's not real, but you but I'm also realizing you told me that they're having, they're wearing things mm-hmm. that cover it. But how do you, how do you put that, how do you wear something without showing? Double stick tape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Wait, the yeah. D- so you have to be like, you've got to be waxed and shaven? No, the, the best trick is baby oil. And most oils will take off adhesives mm. super easily. Uh, and so, like, any kind of, like, K-tape or body tape or double-stick uh-huh. tape, you just apply some baby oil, you saturate the tape, and it comes right off, no hair pulling required, um, which is really important, too, to, like, not have to dictate someone's body or yeah. shaving practices. Um, yeah. Well, and there's there's different ways, too. Like, if there's a, there's a really cool garment that I've used that essentially is, you know, a pouch in the front, but it uses fishing line to keep it all the way on, and that fishing line... Oh, it's, like, indiscernible. You can't really pick yeah. it up. Or if you do pick it up, it's really easy to erase later. Um, and so that's very different than like, you know, a, a big hunk of tape or something. Or there, there's, you know, there's also different ways uh, to protect skin before the tape goes on if someone has uh, an adhesive okay. allergy or something like that. One thing I, I'm remembering about this scene is that when they were in the throes of passion, mm-hmm. sometimes the face they were making was a little bit strange. <laughs> And so do you, are you advising people like, you know, a little less here, a little more there? Like what kind of direction are you giving them for their pleasure face? I think Stevie's losing it a little bit. Uh- she, she's, <laughs> let me tell you, she's actually very interested because she needs to know. She well, to I, know. I, I do like that question because I did see a TikTok on, on your um, page about just like having an orgasm and directing like that to a certain extent but then I also Mm -hmm. I the reason I was laughing is because like I have questions that I was analyzing is that appropriate to ask right now (laughs) and also so you weren't thinking about my question you were thinking about your own questions listen I watched that show that you're talking about like I I know that show like back of my hand so frankly I know all the answers to to that show but anyway yes okay okay let's see let's see if we if this expands what we can ask Yeah. Okay. So my professional answer here is that I always root it in the story. And so the question is, does the face match the story we're trying to tell? Um, Because, you know, I can't say whether or not that's the appropriate face for someone to have or not have in a real (laughs) moment of intimacy, right? Um, And so what I'm always trying to do is say, is this conveying the story? Does this feel authentic to the character? And Mm -hmm. then if it doesn't, then we can use some more specific language of like, relax your face or we want your face to be tighter. We want this, you know, can can that sound go higher, be louder, be more high pitched? So you can really dial it wow. in with those very specific qualifiers mm-hmm. to get to the story we want to be telling. But there are also other times where I'm like, you know, I turn to the director and I'm like, how does that look to you? And they're like, it looks great. And I shut my mouth. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask specifically about that direction is like, is I would imagine it just depends on the director and your relationship yeah. with them. Because mm-hmm. like you have some directors that are like, uh, you know, I would prefer if you could give notes during this scene and or I do have notes. I'm going to give them through you mm-hmm. versus the directors who are like, I got this. And, yeah. you know. So I, that's what I would assume that's like. Yeah, I work differently with each and every director. Yeah. It, it, those the, Essentially, you mapped out the three okay. main types, as, you know. <laughs> um, I, and again, I'm there to navigate consent as well. So like that's the hard yeah. line for me to be like, okay, if we're going to change the motions or we're going to change the physicality, we want to make sure we're having a quick consent check-in mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody's on, like, on the same page about that. But when it comes to the directing of the scene, the emotions of the scene... Uh, you know, getting the actors to to emote in the ways that tell the story that the director wants and the actors are excited about telling. 
I am, I have a lot to offer that I don't need to offer. And it really mm-hmm. is how much they want that and how much they agree with, with my opinions on it, right? They also might disagree with what I think is going to tell the story best. Right. Uh, and that's just going to collaborate differently with each and every person. So, you know, I've already told you, you seem like a great person. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And likewise. Just like very thought, you're th- it's clear that you, you have to constantly be checking in and be very thoughtful and conscientious okay. about the way that individuals are interacting. And I'm curious, like, if you've seen be becoming an intimacy coordinator, if that has helped you, like, change at all. I, I mean, Hugely. Yeah? Absolutely. Or were you just always like this? Oh, no. Oh, no. I am an anxious little, little puppy. Like, that is <laughs> – I'm a people pleaser through and through. Uh, uh-huh. And people pleasers have a really hard time knowing our boundaries and speaking yeah. up for our boundaries because we're deeply afraid of getting – being an inconvenience uh, mm-hmm. or causing too muchness for people around right. us. Um, yeah. I've And part of, like, me – being an intimacy professional is also knowing that I have to be really self-aware of where my own triggers are, um, what's mm. going to flare me up emotionally, and also know how to listen to other people's triggers, traumas, challenges, boundaries mm-hmm. without having them mean anything about me. Mm-hmm. And to be able to support them means that I can't take on emotional burden um, and people have a lot of really challenging stories from this industry, mm-hmm. uh, times where they've felt um, taken advantage of, times where they didn't feel like they had body autonomy or agency. And so when you're someone whose role is to give them space to voice their boundaries, their comfort levels, what uh, what they're excited about to do that day and what they're afraid of, mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll use that space to share really horrendous stories, quite frankly, of what they've mm-hmm. had to endure and go through. And so being able to like listen to those stories, but not internalize them Mm -hmm. has been really, really tough. And it's made, it's really forced me to look at what are my own boundaries? How am I practicing saying my boundaries? How am I holding my boundaries on set so that I can hold someone else's boundaries? How am I navigating consent in my day-to-day life? And how am I talking about consent or about communication or boundaries so that you know, even in passing so that it builds up incrementally people's trust in me and confidence that I'm going to, you know, match the words that I use in everyday life as well. So yeah, mm. it's, it's, it's taught me a lot. And I'm really grateful for the skills that I've picked up since, since starting this line of work. Yeah, you facilitate a safe space. So making sure that you have one for yourself seems pretty damn important. Yeah. Well, I I think that the lingering question, if I had to guess for for people listening, is how does one become an intimacy coordinator? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot clearer of a path now than it used to be. So uh, as you all mentioned before, I run a training organization called Intimacy Directors and Coordinators, and we have a pathway where someone can get certified as an intimacy coordinator for TV and film or an intimacy director for live performance. Uh, it, it's a long training program because there's a lot of skills we have to cover uh, about consent, boundaries, and then also simply the choreography piece of it. How are we masking all of these things? What are the techniques you need? What modesty garments are you using? What modesty garments are you not using? What's the set etiquette when you walk on? So we have a really great training program with some of the top intimacy professionals uh, in wow. the globe, quite frankly. Um, and we've been able to to really make an impact and see qualified intimacy coordinators entering the space. Uh, and we hope to continue this trend and uh, and just share more education in the entertainment industry about consent and this work. So where can people go who are listening now for, for more information? Yeah, they can check out our website, idcprofessionals.com. Uh, also, if you just Google intimacy directors and coordinators, we're like right up there at the top. So that's that's nice to have a good SEO <laughs> business name. Nice. The <laughs> heavy makeout zone. Okay, cool. Well, thank you again so much for being thank on the show. You. Love learning yeah. all this stuff. We'll continue to follow you on TikTok and see you pop up in my FYP. And Excellent. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. Thank you. Thank you both so much. It was really fun. Man, I don't know. Did I did I tell you that my mom would like fast forward through sex scenes all the time when we were I kind of VHS? appreciate that. That's like <laughs> your mom I would feel make like you that's sit through considerate. it. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that when I was back home, I was like, we should totally watch a league of their own, thinking like it's a period oh. piece and it's really well done. And Cassie's like, no. 
No. No. And I was like, well, I mean, I think episode one is fine. And then, like, it's not uh, really that fine. And then, like, I was, yeah, I, I elected yeah. not to watch the rest of the series with my, with my we, parents. We would miss, <laughs> we would miss, like, entire sections of, like, the storyline because we would skip past. Like, VHS was, you know, you would stop and start yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, no, we're in the middle of it. <laughs> Keep yeah. going. And then the DVD was chapter by chapter. So we would miss. But I do wonder if my mom listens to this and she like hears the backstory to these sex scenes not really being no being so manufactured if she thinks about it differently. I think that, you know, a topic of conversation in my household is just like production, how things are are made. Mm-hmm. And Cassie hates, hates me <laughs> when I say anything about anything that we're watching that takes her out of just like the experience of being an audience member you do it while you're watching i don't i i I really try not to i really try not to but sometimes some things just like i need to say it or like it'll happen a lot too (laughs) if like she's trying to watch any kind of reality show like i just am like i cannot i don't have any tolerance for anything but like it's always amazing to me the stuff that she doesn't pick up on because she's not looking for it. And like we talk about frequently here some of the things that we do behind the scenes that that you don't pick up on as an audience member because that's not what you're looking for. You don't right. want like what is the production secret behind the thing that I'm right. At. You want to so, be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I, mm-hmm. I fully understand that. Filming sex scenes is probably very awkward. There's a bunch Super of unsexy. people like yeah. standing around. You don't really know the person. You probably have a partner that this is going to be an awkward-ish conversation. Like all of those things are valid. But if you can like direct a, a good sex scene and leave it in the story where it's supposed to be, then you shouldn't be thinking about any of those things that's true you know and and now i'm hoping that the stuff that we see it's like there's less of a question of like oh was that really awkward for the actors or was that that seems kind of like icky that now i feel like that seems icky like just like a discuss i don't know kind of gross maybe now it's kind of like oh there was somebody that that coordinated that that choreographed that and it was normal that i do wind up asking myself and not just for like lesbian sex scenes or or makeouts or anything is like if it's clear that the actors actually don't really like each other in real life <laughs> I look for that all the time because you can kind of see that it's like oh that was that that kiss was not a real kiss because it seems like they don't really like each other you know some people are bad kissers some people, some people oh sure, yeah. yeah some people are bad kissers yeah well, okay. I, I we learned some <laughs> stuff. I said I feel yeah. good about like uh what I didn't say. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure I'll reevaluate. But later. yes, thank you to Jessica for coming on because yeah. yeah. Um now I'm excited to get into a spicy scene. Hire me. Hire oh, I me. thought you were excited to get into an awkward <laughs> moment of the week, which is now what we're going to be getting into. Yeah. Yes, um, I am let's see what you can come up with. This is a, a good time to come up with an awkward moment well, of the week. Well, okay. It it's fresh on my mind because it happened last night. And I it's a it's a um broad scenario that I that I happened to participate in. But you know how when you order a bottle of wine when you're going out to dinner, um, mm-hmm. And it was it's Cassie. It was Cassie's birthday. So we went out to dinner and we always have the conversation of like, are you going to have two glasses of wine or one glass? Like, are we going to get a bottle or whatever? Mm-hmm. So we ordered a bottle. You know how they will come to the table, they'll open the bottle that you ordered and they'll pour you a little taste. Yes. And then they're like waiting for you to say, yes, this is good. Mm-hmm. Well, we were kind of joking around with the waitress at this place and she like poured me which i'm like god why me why me a taste of the wine that we ordered yeah and um cassie decides to like have a conversation with her about like do people actually taste their wine and send it back and like what do you right. do with the bottle and whatever and as cassie's talking about this and she's like we would never be those people i'm like oh, tasting no. the wine that's been poured for me and i'm like Oh, oh I don't want a bottle of this. Wrong about this, and mm-hmm. so I said, like, I said something like, "This is an effervescent, it, you know, this doesn't have a sparkle to it." And she's like, "Oh no, if it if it seems like that, that's going to calm down or whatever." And so I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." 
and then she leaves. And then this is like a, a weird, like maybe coastal deep cut, but the wine, we ordered a cab, which I like a cab, but it came chilled, which I don't like a, a cold red. And what I realized was this is like an L.A. restaurant that specializes in natural wines, which is like a new vibe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not into the vibe. Yeah, it kind of tastes like it's gone bad. It tastes like (laughs) vinegar. And so like she leaves the table. Cassie hasn't tried the wine yet. Cassie tries the wine and she's like, is this wine bad? I'm like, I don't know. I tried to say something about it being effervescent. Like, we, like, are we going to call her back to the table? Like, what's going to happen yeah. here? And so just like this whole thing ensues where like it was supposed to be a nice dinner and it was. But like we were both like in this awkward place of like this wine seems weird. And so we're like Googling the wine to see if because the real question is like, is the wine bad? If the wine's right. bad, we don't want to drink the wine. If the wine isn't what we thought it was going to be, I can change my mindset and yes. go, oh, I'll drink right. this kombucha wine. Totally. You'll stomach it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but the, kombucha the wine. fucked up thing is that, like, when you Google a wine like that, they never talk about the fact that it, like, smells like vinegar or has, like, kombucha <laughs> aftertaste. It's all, like... The taste of a smoky bonfire meets oh the friends who are gathered around an episode of Stranger Things. You know, like it's just like, well, I can't it taste any like of that. Yeah, it tastes like fear. Yeah, there's like fear. There's no notes of vinegar. Like you know. Anyway, Damn. so we wind up concocting that like we're gonna invite the waitress back and we're gonna just say like, do you drink? Can you you know grab yourself a glass of this and just make sure yeah. that it's not right. Um, yeah. But, of course, she pulls over the director of wine. Oh, no. She uh, escalates. Which is also, I think, a very L.A. Yeah. thing. Okay. Which okay. the business part of me is like, what is this guy? You know, I think that if I ran a restaurant, I could have, like, a <laughs> wine consultant who updates the menu every eight uh, weeks. Like, this d- right. dude is the director of wine. He's just, like, there all the time. Anyway. Okay. Director You're of there wine. there to take him out of a job. Looks like he's about... <laughs> 21 years old maybe right and so then i put it all together and i'm like this is this is a natural wine place he's like he says like there might be like some vinegary notes to it and i'm like okay dude i got your i got everything about you i got this echo park (laughs) restaurant i got this natural wine thing i got baby face wine director man i'm putting it all together and i'm drinking the fucking kombucha and it's fine, but I don't know. It uh, just like it was awkward. It's awkward in those wine scenarios to yeah, uh, because you're also like spending. Wine. You're also spending, spending a significant. Yeah. It's not like a cocktail that you can easily send back and say, "Can you just update it?" Or like easily gulp down really quickly. Yeah, or easily gulp down. Yeah, you have like you've got at least one and a half bathroom trips that yeah. are coming from that from that bottle of wine. I mean, why did I say yeah as if I understood actually what you were just saying? One and a half bathroom trips. What do yeah. you mean? You're going to drink a whole bottle of wine. You got to go to the bathroom at least one and a half times. Oh, what happens in the half time? Honestly, it was like <laughs> a you got to go, but you can hold it. You're able to hold it the second time, okay. you know? So that's what that is. Okay. Hey, I'm glad that you said something. Yeah. I think that we approached it from a nice angle that they weren't talking behind our backs about. No, you you guys were talking about uh, behind their backs, but yeah. not the other way around. Yeah, I whispering. think you did the right thing. I think you did the right thing. Okay. And now you've learned your lesson. No natural wines. No natural wines. I'm going to have to state that when I'm ordering a bottle of wine. I'm yeah. not open to new things. You know, <laughs> so, something like that. I think uh, I think I'll do. I think that'll go. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Best Friends Back All Right. You can catch brand new episodes every Friday. Make sure to follow so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review. You can follow at Mythical Pods on TikTok for clips to share with family and friends. You can follow me everywhere at Nagin and Stevie everywhere at Stevie W. Levine. And of course, you can hear me every Monday through Friday on Good Mythical Morning with Rhett and Link at YouTube.com slash Good Mythical Morning. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. I'll see you there.